Hey, thank you for stopping by the I Am Necessary podcast. And I want to take a second to say thank you for those of you who have shown the love to support this platform. You have no idea of what that means to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm saying thank you for your monetary donation for those of you who were wondering. And for those folks who don't support this platform monetarily, I surely hope you're supporting someone, a local business, a farmer, someone else who's doing a podcast, or anyone who's adding value to your life and taking the time out of their life to do so. You have no idea the impact you make by showing that type of support. Okay, So if you haven't supported I Am Necessary and you want to do so, go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, slash I am necessary scroll down find the support button and show your love (laughs) thank you for stopping by enjoy the show hello and welcome to the I am necessary podcast as always this is your guy Marcel and uh, this evening you guys are in for a wonderful treat I got two of my brothers on with me and we're just trying to address something that's pretty huge that I think is going under the radar right now in our society and that is how important it is in today's time for fathers to stand up right and so but if you want a father to stand up a father has to know what that looks like so there's no real forum out there or no tools readily available because when you become a father there's no handbook for it so we all just feel our our way through it. So what I wanted to do is get some outstanding young men that I know that uh, I've always looked up to that are tremendous fathers and just have a conversation about fatherhood and take it from three different angles. And hopefully somebody out there picks up on something, learn something, because every time I do one of these, I learn something. So I love to give back, got the platform, got the circle, got the community, got the brothers. So here we go. On with me today, I have my guy, Mr. Mike Pendergast, and I also have Mr. Montre Everett. So I'm going to turn it over first uh, to let my guy, Mike, introduce himself. Mike, hit him. Thanks, Lisa. I really appreciate it, man. I'm honored to be here with both you guys tonight. Truly brothers from a long time and uh, honored to share the circle of fatherhood with you men as well. So, uh, as Self said, my name is Mike Pendergast, lifelong Vallejoan, sixth generation Vallejoan, with my brother uh, Montre Everett on the line with us. Uh, what I do for a living, I, uh, I'm a criminal law uh, law clerk at the law offices of Moss and Russo in Vallejo. And then I also have my own business. It's called Redemption Transcription Services. I've had that going for about six years now. And then uh, basically know these gentlemen from growing up in Vallejo. Grew up watching Marcel at Vallejo High. Vallejo High Sports was kind of the catalyst that uh, at least brought me together with all these guys. Me and Trey went to school for our whole lives, um, played literally all, all the sports. But uh, looking up to Marcel and uh, Steve Shelley, Hardy, a bunch of guys that just meant something to us. You know, they set a, they set a, a legacy for all of us to follow. And what you knew growing up then, 
was that there were standards. And one of those standards was that you worked hard and you played to win. And um, there wasn't much losing in Vallejo back in our era. And I think that that, even in this topic of fatherhood, man, it, it breeds a culture of winning. And um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry that uh, in somehow along the way we dropped the ball, at least in our hometown, Vallejo, where it's not consistent with the winning. It's not consistent with fatherhood. It's not consistent with community outreach. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll uh, find a gem in this conversation tonight amongst these minds. Uh, maybe it'll spark something from us and other alumni, possibly fill some of the holes that we left behind. So thank you. Thank you, Sal, for being here. Thank you for always. I, I listen to the podcast, man. Some of them are just a, a pure joy for me. Others, I listen to them and I learn and I always try to implement things, man. Uh, and I appreciate you, brother. You've always been a blessing to me. So thank you. I have one child. Uh, my wife and I, Jenny, we're both Vallejo High Apaches. Been married now for 22 years and we have a nine-year-old son, Nate. Um, and he's the, the love of our life. And we pour everything we can into that young man. And we hope and pray that he will uh, become a better person than any, any version of the two of us can be. All right, Trey. Well, like Marcel said, my name is Montre Everett. Like and like Mike said, grew in Vallejo High. I, the way I see it, Vallejo is is the city of champions, and and I and I always looked at it that way. And so I'm I'm just proud to be uh, born and raised in, in Vallejo, California. Currently, I serve as director of financial aid at uh, UC Davis School of Law in Davis, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live in Sacramento, California, with my wife Latasha and our daughter, 15 year old daughter Monet. Uh, also have a 25-year-old son, uh, Trayvon. He lives in, in Germany. And sadly, two years ago, our middle son, we, we lost. Uh, he passed away. His name is Reggie. So just glad to be here. Um, the way I know both of you guys is, is basically because of the brotherhood, the Vallejo brotherhood. Uh, Marcel, you and I go way back. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we grew up in, this, in the same church. And so you have always been an idol to me personally. I always look, looked up to you, big bro. And still to this day, look look up to you. Your, your messages of encouragement and motivation, uh, I use them every time you post one. It, it, it motivates me. So, uh, still to this day, forty plus years strong, you have uh, just made a, a major impact on, on my life. So I thank you for that, and I'm just honored to be on this platform. Me and Mike, we go back to elementary school days. So to, to now see us at this point, the three of us sitting around a, a virtual table, mm-hmm. uh, talking fatherhood, man, this just warms my heart, man. And <laughs> I, I just couldn't think of a better place to be tonight than to share some words of encouragement, some words of wisdom. And I hope somebody else is blessed by uh, some of the things that we share tonight. All right. So let's open it up, gentlemen, and let's just start with the the reason why we're here today. It's just a warmer upper question because there's so much that goes into this. And the question is to you, what is fatherhood? And just understand there's no right or wrong answer. This is just perspective and experience. So let's start with you, Mike. What is fatherhood? I mean, it's, it's there's so many things. There's so many things. There's a laundry list that, you know, you can look at as to how to create, I think, the best um, version of the father that you can be. But I, I break it down to the first thing that stands out to me in anything. I heard a saying um, years ago when I first um, got locked up in prison, and it stuck with me ever since. And I'll never deviate from this when it comes to uniting people, when it comes to trying to get something done. 
And fatherhood is all about getting something done. The most important thing in the world to me is being a father. And the saying is, is that your best ability is your availability. Mm. And so uh, with that in mind, if you don't have, if you're not available to your child, there's nothing else. Nothing else matters because that's the first step to be able to do all the other things that you may or may not be able to do to help be a father to your child. If you're not available to your child, you cannot be that. And there are, there's situations, like I said, I was incarcerated. I didn't have a child when I was incarcerated, but many men did. And I know a lot of men that went out of their way to try to change the, you know, the feeling in their relationship as a father, even though they weren't. When we say availability, it might not be in the physical sense. Mm-hmm because of any number of reasons. It could be you're incarcerated. It could be because the courts won't allow it for whatever reason. It doesn't change, man. Write the letters even if they don't get there. That's being available. So there's just so many things. But for me, fatherhood is is being available. And if that availability has um, boundaries, find a way. Find a way. Don't complicate the problem by getting, you know, creating a bigger gap between you and your child. But find a way to reach your child, even if it isn't in that moment. Create a legacy that lets them know that you've always tried to be available and that you're doing everything you can. But for me, it's availability. And I'm knocking it out of the park every chance I get, man. I'm never, I, I swear I'm doing everything. And I, bad things can happen all the time, but I'm not taking no losses <laughs> when it comes to me spending time with my kid. Period. Word, word. All right, Trey. Uh, well, for me, I, I I would say, you know, and and uh, I, I really, you know, can't really top what Mike said because that that's that's really everything right there. Uh, but just to add on to that, I, I would say that fatherhood is uh, to me is a, is, is a covering. Mm. Uh, just just like uh, you know, if we outside in the rain getting wet, we're gonna try to find some type of shelter because there's safety in uh, when when we find shelter. And so to me. You know, a father is supposed to be that shelter for his family, for his wife, for his children. And uh, without that covering, basically, our children are exposed, exposed to the elements of our culture, exposed to, you know, just all different type of things that could pull at them in in a negative way. But once once we understand that fatherhood, that fathers are supposed to be that covering and while you're covered, you're not only being protected but you're also being poured into as well, poured into with knowledge, poured into with wisdom, poured into with understanding and, and, and discernment, how to make, you know, right decisions uh, in, in, at the blink of an eye. Without that covering, you know, our children are left to, to try to figure out life on their own. And sadly, we're at a point where a lot of young children are trying to figure out life. And, and when it comes to our young men trying to figure out manhood, on their own and and that's to me to me that's that's not the way it's supposed to be so uh i i hope that's something that we say tonight you know just uh help someone understand that you know that covering is is so important in our children's lives amen and for me man it's, it's being there to to always uh pick your child up as a father because when you pick your child up when you lift your child that's a, a spiritual transaction right uh, yeah. because they get to now see life metaphorically from your perspective. And that's your responsibility. Your, your, the joy that you're granted as a parent is to pick your child up. Because if you think about it, 
from the day you met them. If you were fortunate enough to be in the delivery room when they were born, someone handed them to you and you picked them up. As an infant, when they would wake up in the morning, you picked them up. When they cried, you would pick them up. When they hungered and it was time to feed, you had to pick them up in order to feed them. When they couldn't walk to get them from A to B, guess what? You picked them up again. And that is your eternal, eternal job as a parent to pick your child up. And as they grow into adults, you may not be able to lift them physically, but the job doesn't change. Now you pick them up emotionally, right? So when they turn down the wrong road in life, pick them up. If they happen to struggle with, I don't know, addiction, pick them up. They struggle with depression, pick them up. And even though they're adults, it's still a spiritual transaction when you pick them up. So as a father, you got to be there to pick them up and your shoulders are built for the task. And if you don't see it that way, then you need to change your prescription. And I'll say this, man, we're equal to our fathers. You know, that's a mouthful for jury still out. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what we strive for. You know, it's like you said, Mike, that's why, you know, there's no losses because the the blueprint was laid and we saw what it was like to be not just a father, but a man. You know what I mean? We know what that was like when pops come home at five o'clock and come take my boots off. You know, and when I look back at it, what an honor to take these boots off, the same boots that actually go places to provide for me. You know what I mean? I, now I wish as now that I'm a father, I wish I could have kept Pop's boots and put them in some kind of frame or something just to look at. And I wish I could just see if there was a camera on every mile those boots walked because they were all walking for me, my brother, my sister, my mother. So, yeah, man, that that is a tremendous thing. And I'll say this, Trey, knowing what you know now as a father, how would you grade your Pop's raising you? Mm, that, that's a good good question uh because with me my dad you know he 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 did his best mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm gonna put it that way yeah. and you know even sometimes when doing your best you, you you're i won't i won't say you're gonna fail but you're gonna make mistakes because none of us are perfect um and I, i'll be tr- totally transparent you know in my teenage years my, my dad struggled uh with a drug addiction real real bad but he set a foundation even before the the addiction got the best of him. And so my early years, whether it was, you know, a little league game or whether it was just us in the backyard, you know, playing together, he showed me and, and gave me that quality time so that even when the drug addiction came into play, I could look back and say, okay, that's what a dad is supposed to do. He's supposed to be there. He's supposed to, you know, show me how to swing a bat. He's supposed to throw me that first pitch. He's supposed to show me how to shoot baskets and all, all those things. So he gave me that. And so when the drug addiction time come, I leaned on that rather than judging him for something that was out of his his control, basically an, an illness. Mm-hmm. And so if I had to, you know, give him a, a grade, even in spite of, you know, his mistakes, I would still give him an A because he didn't allow the drug addiction. He didn't allow himself to stay in that in, in that place. You know, I, I look back uh, now and see him recover from drug addiction and make something out of his life. And so every time, man, I'm like right now, I'm holding my cell phone. Every time I look at my cell phone, I think of my dad. Because right now he went from coming out of rehab to going back to school uh, to work in IT. 
and he, he lives right now in Boise, Idaho, and he designs the microchips that are in our cell phones. Hmm. And so when I think of, when I think of that, I was like, OK, you get an A, Pops. <laughs> In spite, in spite of everything, you still get an A because you showed me that you showed me the, the real that really when you fall, when, when you stumble, when you're at, at, in your in, in your deepest valley, that you can still climb out of it. So it, it don't matter what, you know, I face, no matter what I deal with. And, you know, even to this day, even, you know, I, I tell people all the time, because not only do I work at UC Davis, but I'm also a pastor. And, and people try to look at me as being perfect. I'm far from it. But when I look at my dad, I'm like, OK, even those days when I do make mistakes, when I do fall short, I can look at my dad and say, if he could come from everything that he'd been through, this little stuff that I'm dealing with, <laughs> it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So pop salute. You still get that A in my book. All right. Mike, Mr. Pendergast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys all know my pops, man. Yes, indeed. Yeah. My dad and my mom, man, they're a parental unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, my heroes, my, my heroes, my role models, and um, my foundation. My father, for me, there's a lot of things, but uh, I think for me, the most important thing that he's passed on to me is just the courage to believe in yourself and the courage to uh, face your fears, right? You know, my dad was always there. Uh, sometimes he would um, not, he never, they all, my parents always gave me what I needed. Mm-hmm. They never gave me what I want, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really tough because, um, you know, when I wanted a pair of Jordans, I got a, a nice pair of Nikes, <laughs> but I didn't get a pair of Jordans. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when it was a chance opportunity at 16 or whatever to get a car, I got a car that was, you know, a nice car, but it wasn't the car I wanted. And it's just, they taught you that you have to pay the price for the things that you uh, earn in life and the things that you acquire that you didn't work for, that you didn't earn, they will not sustain uh, and, and hold the test of time in your life. And, you know, I was really blessed with a lot of great examples of committed marriages and um and committed fathers mm-hmm. uh, my parents are high school sweethearts my father always jokes you know that you could throw a that he grew up in a hula hoop because he basically grew up in vallejo in the same neighborhood and raised his family in met his wife in graduated high school in and then ultimately you know now we bought their the family home and so we're raising our son in the same family home so you talk about a legacy and a responsibility, it's all around me. I mean, the same, this is the same house that I was arrested in and sent to prison from. And it's the same house that day I got out, 10 and a half years later, that I returned to, um, to see everybody, not to live here, but, and then years later, that was 2003, 2019, you know, we bought the house. And uh, our son lives here and he's well aware of the history of all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But uh, what he does know is that this is a bedrock foundation and it's not the material things, the house or anything else, it's the values. And there's three core values that my father always preached to my brother and I and my mom always uh, reinforced them as well. And that's treat others the way you want to be treated, which is the golden rule. Mm -hmm. And if someone on this podcast hasn't heard that, (laughs) man, uh, we in the world are hurting. (laughs) <laughs> the other one is, is uh, give more than you take in life. You know, if, if you give more than you take, man, 
karma is going to be kind to you. Um, and then the last one is, is uh, always leave a place better than you found. Yeah. And uh, my parents, sometimes I would regret it. Uh, I guess if I am going to be critical in any way, it was the amount of time that they poured into the community. Absent of my brother and I, it felt like sometimes. When your parents are constantly going to meetings, uh, whether it be for Little League, PTA, school board, there is an absence and you're there by yourself. I wouldn't be here today without my father just because, of, you know, obviously you can't have, you can't be here without a, a mom and a dad. But damn, man, what we went through 10 and a half years of incarceration and everything else, I know that as a family, we couldn't have done it without my dad's leadership. And I know we couldn't have done it without my mom's unconditional love. That tandem for me is the gold standard of how parents should be for their kids because everybody can be a good parent and everybody can be a good person when they're winning. The true measure of where your, where your values are at is when the chips are down, when your back's against the wall, what kind of fights left in the dog. And, um, my parents got a hell of a lot of fight, man. And they poured it into me to face some crazy demons and to come out of that thing, come out of an inhumane place, still a human being, and still with the opportunity to raise my own boy with Jenny and, uh, you know, set the standard even higher, hopefully. But uh, it's a high, high bar. And I'm very grateful for both my parents. And uh, you touched on something for those of you fathers that are listening. You touched on something really big. Because you said the absence, because your father was out doing things in the community. And that just illustrates why pastor son gets in trouble. The police officer's son is the one who gets arrested. And people can't wrap their head around, wait a minute, but your father is a boom. And this is what you're doing. That's a perfect illustration of how that happens sometimes. It's not anything different. It's just you think you're doing the right thing by giving, but sometimes in your own circle is where you really need to be. And it's a sacrificial thing. And so my pops, again, everybody knows my pops and you know, my pops get an A plus plus and the grade keeps going up as I get older. (laughs) Right. Because a lot of lessons just now start to resonate at every age and phase of my life. I'm like, Oh, that's why I had to be home at 10 o'clock in high school. Couldn't go hang out with everybody because pops was keeping me safe. You know, he Mm -hmm. knows what goes on after 10. That's why. And, you know, I used to just be like, man, Pop's a punk. You know what I mean? I can't do nothing. But he was protecting me. And A++. And the cold thing is we are the same but different because I have different tools than he had. But the, the beauty of both is we maximize the tools that we have. So, you know, it's almost like trying to compare, you know, LeBron with Jordan. It was different eras, You different different tools you had to use back then, you know, a different everything. And like my pops, I pride myself on communication and my pops was the guy who something happened. Right. And he's, he's a little upset at me. And I'm like, man, you wrong this time. You know, those words didn't come out of my mouth. (laughs) Right. But in my mind, I'm like, you wrong this time, but I just got to chew that pill and pops would go to work, come home and he would have just this half eaten cookie. And he would say, hey, boy, you want a cookie? Yeah, sure. Here. That was him saying a million things because he wasn't going to say, I'm sorry. He wasn't going to say, I love you, son. But that half-eaten cookie 
That's how he communicated with me. And it took me going to college, you know, and studying psychology and sociology to be like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, had to play the tape back and like, man, what else did I miss? So without playing the tape back, you know, he was a tremendous man. And as I play the tape back, I'm underestimating what he had. You know, I just judge him like you. You know, my father was everybody's father. <laughs> you know, that's just how he was, man. But I attest to that. <laughs> yeah. But he he took care of he made sure he took care of his boy in, in every way possible. I remember when I thought I was doing something because I graduated from the belt. And I was like, whoo, this belt is gone. I didn't know there was a fist that came after the belt. And I can give you one quick example. In uh, school, I was failing. No, I was getting a D in history because the teacher was just, I mean, I think she lived a lot of the things that she was teaching us. She was that old. But um, my father was like, uh, and you know, that old hide the report card game we, we thought we were so smart in doing. So I played that game one time and Pops found the report card and he was like, wait a minute. Because, you know, you don't think your parents are in tune with all of that. You know, they right. just do their thing and when the report card, whatever. And so he was like, wait a minute, a D. And I'm like, in my mind, you don't even know what a D is. You know, you don't even know, right? And he was like, man, what's this D? And I was like, I swole up a little bit, you know? And I'm like, what you mean, what's this D? He was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> well, what did you just say? I was like, the tone came down a little bit. You know, I was like, well, you know, Pops is a D. And he kept going in on me and I just snapped. I said, man, I tried. I think I still, if, if I touch my chest in the right place right now, or when it get cold outside, I can still feel that that shot and he hit me dead in the chest and it was nothing to do about the D it was about respect and he was like you'll never talk to me in that fashion ever again right and so it made sense afterwards but being a dad a lot of times you got to just do it and just just hope your your kids understand at some point but you don't have time to sit down and explain everything you're doing in the moment and you just have to trust that you built that foundation that you know if pops told me to Hit my head on this wall, I better go hit my head on this wall. It's going to make my headache go away. You know, if you build that foundation, then you're all good. And here's a little caveat, right? So chores is something that I adopt, but in my home, we don't call it chores because chores is a negative connotation. We call it it's time for house pride, right? And so that's what it is, taking pride in your house. So a chore is not a chore around here. It's just semantics, and now they look forward to it, and they understand why they're doing it. Let's shift a little forward-facing, and let's try to put some words to what we can do or, or ideas we can come up with to help fathers today. So let's talk about this one. What could, what could we be doing, we, just fathers in general, or us, what could we be doing as fathers to prevent the, the other pandemic, not the corona, but the breakdown of the family. As far as a man is concerned and the father is concerned, what can we be doing to help with that? And I'll kick it off by saying we break it down. We, we prevent the breakdown by strengthening it, right? So how do you strengthen it? You strengthen it with programs. You strengthen it with support, support that will teach the importance of maintaining your health, uh, support that will teach. You have to listen first if you want to be heard. The importance of managing your moods and the awareness of what we communicate silently. Because men speak a lot with the actions or words that they don't speak or they don't take. And fatherhood requires. It requires from you things that you may not be versed in. So, you know, it takes a real man to raise his hand 
and say, I need some help over here. And that's not always some place you have to go to or some county program. That's the guy next door. You know, that's Mr. Smith who cuts his yard across the street. That's Pastor Jones at the church. That's Coach Davis. You know, these were all great men who have tools, but a, a closed mouth don't get fed. And so men have to step beside themselves and learn what a real man does when he needs, and that's raise his hand and say, hey, I need a little help over here. Yeah, man. And you, you hit on something because uh, that, that's a big step for, for us to, to even just say, hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we, we all struggle as men with this thing called pride. Yes. Um, but one thing that um, I, I think would be really helpful to, to strengthening the, 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 the family structure is accountability. There's one thing that I remember growing up in, in Vallejo. Uh, none of us wanted to be left out on the island by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We all grew up playing sports, uh, whether it was out, out in, in the middle of the streets or, or, or organized on, on one of the ball fields. And we had a we had we all had teammates who pushed us. That's why I th that's why I really call Vallejo the city of champions because everybody was good, mm -hmm. and and you couldn't play sports in Vallejo without being good. And if you was lacking, there was somebody on your team, a teammate, a coach, somebody who was going to push you to play at the level that you should be at. And so that trans transitioned over into manhood. Now I have these same cats that I grew up as teammates pushing me on the ball field. Now they pushing me as a man. Now they pushing me to be, be better as a husband. Now they pushing me be to be better as a father. But somewhere along the line, we lost that. And so I, 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 I but still to this day, there is no man who wants to be left out on the island. They want someone to say, come on, bro, you got this. I got you. Come on, let's go. You better than this. R raise the bar a little bit. And so we get to a point where we can be in position. Position is key. If we can be in position to be that account accountability partner for our brothers. Hey, man, I, I know you better than this. But they, on the other hand, they also have to be willing to receive that as well. Um, but if we could get to that point to where we can push them, push me and I'll pull you, um, we can see uh, men step up to the plate and be all that they should be as fathers. Because when they look at the, the guy next to them to the left and the right and they say, oh, they, they got their game, their fatherhood game up and I'm, I'm slacking. I better step up. Because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the one left out on the island by myself. So that, that I think that's really going, going to be very important. Um, I've seen it many times um, in my life when it comes to uh, men or even uh, young men. They don't want to be left out on the island. You know, after my playing days was over, I started coaching. And I remember coaching high school back in Georgia, high school baseball. And there was one player who just didn't want to listen, just didn't want to do what, what, what we were told. And all of a sudden, I, I saw the rest of the team say, okay, we're just going to leave you on that one end of the dug, dugout by yourself while we work together. And it took only five minutes for that young cat to say, you know what, I don't want to be left out here alone. I want to be a part of the group. I want, to, I, I want a brotherhood. So I think we as men, we want that brotherhood, but we, just, we also got to know where to find it. Mm -hmm. And so we could just make ourselves a little bit more present uh, to to our brothers to 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 give them that accountability partner. Um, I think we can see the change that we're looking for. Yeah, no doubt, man. That accountability partnership is huge. It's the old saying, right? A good friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Right. And um, 
you know, maybe take it a step further. A good friend helps you with what you need, doesn't judge you for what you don't have, right? Because uh, nobody wants to be told what they're doing right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's what community is all about. And, um, you know, it's just... I have a hard time. I mean, I spent my entire 20s in prison and watching men that had children that were incarcerated, um, some of which were it was impossible for them to communicate with their child. And I used to think to myself, you know, well, what that what that'd be like? I mean, I'd get a visit and I'd see, you know, dads out there with their child and then i i knew what it felt like every time my wife left to visit how heartbroken i was when my mom left to visit how heartbroken i was and i could never imagine what it would be like to be able to have my child for a visit only and um there's people in situations now that have worse situations than that and for me that was the worst experience was just witnessing men in prison with children having to get a visit. But there was hundreds of men on the yard that didn't even get a visit from their child, you know? So at least they had that going for them. But um, I remember uh, my sister-in-law, Julie, and uh, my brother-in-law, Hector, another pair of Vallejo Apaches, um, Mm -hmm. they had their first child while I was still locked up. And uh, they used to let Jenny bring my niece Sarah in to visit me and she was just a little baby, but it was the first niece or nephew in my life. It was my first. And she would very seldom come to me. She'd very seldom be comfortable with me holding her. And it was just crushing me, bro. Mm. It was crushing me because Did you brush she your didn't teeth? Know. Huh? Did you brush your teeth? <laughs> Man, I brushed my teeth, man. I was I was so clean, man. I had my visiting clothes under my mattress for a whole week. <laughs> Getting creased. Uh, but man, it was uh it just for me that accountability, but it's just I don't know. I don't know if I'm just lucky. I don't know if it's just generational opportunity that created my my great life even with some of the hardships that I've self-imposed, but it is the the absolute best fucking thing I've ever felt, man, is to come home and hold my son, man, and to see my son and to slog through my worst day to know that he's dependent on us and he's counting on us and he's watching and he's listening. And, um, you know, so now that I know those feelings, I could never see a scenario where I don't have them. So for a father or a a family home, I just want them to experience it, you know, and it goes back to your best ability is your availability, you know, start now, start now. And depending on how far gone the relationship is, it may not be repairable, but man, I don't mess with quitters. I've never been a quitter and I don't want to be around quitters. Don't give up, you know, write letters, even if you can't give them to them. Uh, film a video if you're not a writer, um, you know, do something. But I just want them to experience what the the true joy is. And 
I don't know if it comes from a person's. It just hurts, man. That's why I'm having a hard time composing my words, Cell, mm -hmm. is because it just hurts to know that there are children and families out there that are struggling uh, by not being able to be a, a, a functioning team um, pulling in the same direction. I don't know if anybody's up on it. Uh, maybe I'm dropping a gem to one of you as well. It's a 529 account. It's a savings account. And uh, I just got up on it. And thank, thanks to a class of 92 teammate, Eric Gonzalez. I'll drop that name. Uh, he put me up on it. And we're doing that. And I just think of that. And I say to myself, you know, I, sometimes I feel bad, right? Because we're in a situation during a pandemic where we're thinking of where can we put some money into savings for our child's education? And there are people that are, are losing everything. And so I, I have reservations about it because you talk community, but I can talk community because I'm living so damn good. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder sometimes how how much of a community man I'd be if I was if I was living bad. And um, so it's, it's tough, man. I want I want to preach, but I also don't I don't always know how it feels to be in their shoes. I, I've lived a tough life sometimes myself, but when it comes to being a father, man, it just changed for me. From that moment forward, there was no more playing games. I wasn't making mistakes like I used to. I wasn't being nearly as selfish as I used to. I wasn't living in the moment, man. And I just, I'll never live in the moment again. I'm always A to Z. I'm always trying to plot my course and, and you know, just one step at a time, getting to our goals for our family and our and our son. Man, my four-year-old the other night, we always snuggle with my, we call it snuggle fest, right? So when they go down, I spend five minutes with my son and then five minutes with my daughter and the wife and I, we switch. And that's the most precious time because they're half sleep. It's almost mm -hmm. equivalent to somebody being drunk. You know, they're <laughs> the truth serum, right? And my son said to me, he's like, man, He's like, Dad, I was like, what? He's like, I want to be just like you. Four years old, you don't even know what I'm, you know what I mean? But he don't even know the magnitude of that. But from the yeah, four-year-old perspective, that. you know what I mean? I'm like, and it just made me do a self-check of everything right on the spot. And for those of you listening, your kids may not verbalize that, but believe you me, you're their only example that they have. So you can't do that, do what I say, not as I do thing. That's, that's a cop-out is what that is and the danger of that is i remember being a kid man being in the crest in vallejo and all my older older cousins who used to babysit me and everything they'd be in the garage getting high as hell you know smoking weed and they would say you know hey don't you ever i don't ever want you to, to, to do this right here right meanwhile they're having a good time so to me it looked like fun i didn't hear what you said I just know when you put this little thing to your mouth, everybody's laughing and enjoying. So that do what I say, it doesn't work. If if someone's out there right now leaning on that, don't lean on that. Because kids, we know kids, kids will tell you your breath stink. They don't care. You know, they're, they they pierce you with the truth, right? So don't think you can pull the, the wool over a child's eyes like that. So you have to step up to that challenge and say, hey, son, I challenge you, right? And I challenge myself to leave a, bl a blueprint in all of its imperfection because I'm going to narrate this journey with you. So the good and the bad. So sometimes when I lose it, you know, later on, I talk to my kids. I don't, four years old, I still talk to them like, hey, you know why daddy got upset? 
I'm planting that seed because kids, what, what we don't realize is they understand, they just can't communicate it back. So you think they don't understand because they can't say it, but they learn much faster. So, and someone told me that a long time ago. So I never was a guy, guy, goo, goo guy. I really, I spoke to my children just like regular human beings, you know, and it gave me practice too. And repetition now, you know, I'm sitting at the dinner table talking to my wife and it's subtle. I would be like, man, that dude, yeah, he really was a good guy. And my son would say, he really was a good guy. He's just mimicking me. Who else yeah. he going to mimic? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Who else is he going to mimic? And that pretty much sets my sales because I know everything I do, I'm doing it for them. They're looking at, they're looking at, like you said, Trey, my might as well wear a cape to my kids as far as yeah. they're concerned. You know what I mean? And I have to actually go in the phone booth and own that, right? So, right. you know, even with my son, we'd be walking at the park and I'll pick up a piece of paper and put it in the trash. And he'll be like, dad, why did you pick that piece of paper up? Right. And I'll tell him what well, my father told me. He was like, whatever you do, imagine if a million people did it, what would the world look like? So that guides me. And so I'm putting that in my son, just loading him up with these little bullets. You know, he'll learn the real stuff later, but right now I want to make him a good human being and the foundations of a man. And then at some point you just have to wish <laughs> you know that you did the right thing, and you have to be okay with that. So, big self. Yeah. Can I can I ask Trey a question, man? Because mm -hmm. he he, I think he got some game for us here. Because I know one of the things for me uh, when we talk about fatherhood, from I had we had Nathan when I was thirty seven, thirty six, or thirty seven years old. Right. That's when I had my first child. And uh, I know you started a little late too, so right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, I know 100%, right? And who knows what I would have been like if I'd have been able to have a kid at a young age. Right. But I know 100% that I feel as if I'm able to do more, maybe not be able to do as much with, right, physically as I would have as a younger father, but I know I can do more, both emotionally, academically, financially for my son and my family because I started later. Um, and sometimes I wonder that we had like one, maybe two girls that got pregnant in high school when we went to high school and it was not healthy shame. They were treated mm -hmm. like crap. Yeah, it was taboo. Scarlet letter. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's and I'm not cool with that either, right? But when I came home from prison, our old auto shop and driver's ed had been converted to a uh, child care center for the high school kids, kids, right? you know, and that to me, I just, I felt like we were in trouble when I saw them. Um, and there's been plenty of them that have gone on to raise good kids. I'm sure of that. But I just feel like when you're still young enough to be considered a kid, um, it's tough to raise a kid, you know? And so Trey, I know you have an older son, um, maybe you could shine some light on the, the parallels that you've seen between your gap. Oh, yeah, no doubt, man. That, that, that definitely is, is a difference, you know, because, you know, we I think I was what mid, mid 30s when we had our daughter. And so the way I was able to raise her was totally different than I raised my two boys. And there was another dynamic uh, that came into play as well, because my two boys biologically aren't mine. Mm -hmm. 
uh, technically they're, they're my stepsons, but I've been in their life since they were three and two years old. So I'm really the only dad that, that they, that, that they really knew. And so to get married at, you know, my early twenties and be a father instantly. I mean, th this is how instant it was. Right. My old, my oldest son, before me and Tasha got married, he called me uncle Trey. And I was like, I'm about to be your, I'm about to be your stepdad. You ain't gonna call me dad. And I was like, nope, not until you you get married to my mom. And I promise you, on on wedding day, July 29th, year 2000, he called me dad. From that day going, and 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 he was serious about that. He, I mean, he was four or five years old at, at this time, and so instantly I became a dad at a young at at a you know a fairly young age in my early 20s, and didn't know what to do because. I didn't have the, the the point to go from birth to now your you know your elementary school age. No, instantly you need molding right now, mm -hmm. and so with that, not having much. I mean, you know, we, we were really you know scraping pennies together at that time. So it really was about presence. It, it, it that that was because I couldn't give anything else at that point at that time. So my presence made up for the things I couldn't do financially. It made up for the vacations we couldn't have. It made up for so much. Now to this day, when I have talks to my son, he doesn't remember once things started getting better financially for us, he doesn't remember that stuff. He still remembers when we used to just go, you know, walk down This was before we moved to, 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 Georgia, uh, to Georgia, you know, we used to walk down to Wallamy Street and when, when it was raining and just take two popsicle sticks and just let them, you know, race them to the gutter. And that was more that was more memorable, more important to him than any of the vacations or, or, the, or the things that we took. So early on and, and, if, and if anybody's listening, who's, you know, maybe a young, young parent, young father, I just want to say your presence. Uh, has so much more value than anything that you can contribute financially. Uh, whether you're with the mother or not and you you paying child support, that's great. But when it comes down to it, the presence, especially in those early years, uh, is, is very important. Now, when it came to my later years with, with my daughter, you know, of course, we we're a little bit more established, had owned a home at this time, you know, so I was able to really show her a more structured type, type, of, type of family lifestyle which I'm glad about, but for my boys, I'm actually happy that they saw me struggle. I'm, I'm happy that they were able to see that because, you know, they, they can look back now and see, oh, Pops was grinding. Pops was really putting in some time to make sure that we kept a roof over our head. And so, you, you know, and it's just, it's just different, you know, uh, as, as you get, get, get older, because, you know, with the two of you having children, you know, when you're older, you also are, are, are more wiser mm -hmm. because not only are you able to be receptive to everything that was poured into you as a child, now it makes sense because you lived a little. And I, I, I used to tell my sons all the time, and I, I still tell you know, young boys that, that I mentor, I, I tell them every, all the time that I, I didn't consider myself a grown man until I was 35 because in my 20s, I didn't know jack. And I was making mistake after mistake. It wasn't until I was 35 that the light came on. I was like, oh, I'm a grown man. I got responsibilities. I got a family. I got a wife. I, I got to handle business. And, and so it just seems like once you get at, to the mid-30s, the lights just come on for you. And so I, I, I salute you guys, you know, for, 
you know, taking all that wisdom and now that it makes sense to you, pouring that in, into into your voice. Uh, but it, it is it is different. You, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because it's truly different. Um, but if you approach it, all you got to do is, is just be present and, and approach it. In, in the right manner, your kids, your kids will, will be blessed by it. They, they will still make mistakes because my oldest son, he'd have made plenty of mistakes, but he can always look back. And, and I know you can attest to this, Mike, even though the mistakes you made, you can always look back to what pops poured into you. Even though you may not have listened to it, you can look back and say, you know what? Pops made sense back there. I didn't listen to it, but now that I know what it means because I'm, I'm in his shoes, I get it now. The presence is important because we know what lack thereof causes. You know, that's why you have behavioral problems in school. That's why you have kids acting out when the father is not in the home. And guys have to stop judging themselves on, man, I don't have a job or I got this in my background or that in my background. It doesn't make you a dummy. You still have standards. You know what I mean? You still like what Mike said. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Right. That's a win right there on, on his father's side. That's all a father can do is set you up for success. You know, ultimately, right. you got to make the choice. So for a lot of fathers who abandon the situation because they think they aren't doing what they should be doing, think again. And it's just what you said, Trey, just your presence alone and knowing what's right from wrong is huge with children today. And before you jumped on, Trey, I was talking to Mike. I know a guy who we were just talking. I sparked the conversation and he was talking about um, he's a better father than his dad was. And I'm like, cool, that's what's up, man. You know, that should be in my mind. I'm playing like, yeah, that's the goal. That's yeah. OK, OK. And as we boiled it down, he said, you know, he may have seen his biological father maybe eight times. And so he sees his son once a month. So that is what made him say he's a better father than his dad. <laughs> You know, and this is what we're working with. You know what I mean? And and if I wouldn't have struck that conversation, this guy's just wandering around thinking he's the man because, he, you know, he gets his son a PS5 on Christmas or whatever. And I remember this one big time dude I know bought his son. He's not in. He wasn't in the home. And it was a moment like this that he came back in the home, even though his son was older. He bought his son a watch, a nice, expensive watch. And his son, you know, he had one of those moms who was grinding and I'm going to be mother and father, right? So moms did a hell of a job. But what he said, when his father gave him the watch, he gave it back to him. He was like, uh, I don't want the watch. I want the time. Mm. And that was impactful to Pops. He thought he could just buy you these new Jordans and buy you these, all throw money at it and not presents and time, right? Yeah. And there's nothing that can replace that is you being there and you overseeing your your you watering your seeds that's what it takes and we're living in a different world right now you know back in the day it used to be unprotected sex now you have to talk to your kids about unprotected social interactions instagram and and facebook and all of this stuff right and you can't be that person who shuns it as a parent well, i ain't getting into all of that tiktok you better <laughs> you know what I mean? You better know what's going on and you don't have to post, you know, last night's dinner and all of that. But you need to know what your kids are doing, what this platform is capable of and and are there expectations and guidelines surrounding it for your children? Because that I mean, there's a lot of banana peels out there that one of your kids can just get 
can lure it in down the wrong lane and you won't even know what hit you. You and then you try you, you call yourself checking in one day. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Okay, cool. That was my check-in, right? Unbeknownst, your daughter waiting for you to go to work so she can go make a little change somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you don't find out until it's it's too late. No matter how old the car gets, man, if you ain't servicing it, it ain't gonna take <laughs> care of it. You know, for you sure. gotta, and so it's the, the maintenance and the upkeep. And for me, it's just remembering that just because you found a good rhythm and things seem to be going smooth, you have to check in, shake them up a little bit. You gotta ask them some questions, uh, you know, probing questions. There you it's go. different, you know, to just say, how was your day? It was good. Okay, well, what did you do? You know, and then just start backtracking. Work that timeline of your child's life mm-hmm. to figure out exactly what they did. Because if they can't articulate what they did, depending on their age, right, then you have some worries. Because I know for me, I lied straight to my parents' face <laughs> multiple times. Like we all did. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so as a parent, you know that. you got to know that. Because you're if you did it, your kid's going to do it to you, you know. And uh, for me, I don't know why I was so comfortable lying to my parents because I love my parents and my parents were great to me. And uh, I was still comfortable lying right to their face. And so, you know, my hope is, is that I've been so open and transparent with Nathan that maybe he'll be more comfortable talking to me and telling me the truth about things than I was with my parents. I had a 50% lies, right? So 50% of my lies was because I was uncomfortable talking about it. So maybe it was like sex questions, shit like that. You know, so I lie and just ignore it. And then the other 50 is I was lying to cover my ass because I was up to no good. Selling weed, you know, doing whatever. And um, so I'd lie about all kinds of stuff. And then, so the obstacle for me is, is just why? Why is that okay? And how do I prevent Nate from doing that to me? And, um, you know, my parents, I can't look at anything they did or didn't do that allowed me to become that isolated with my bad behavior and uh, sheltered and, and secret from them. And so my hope is, is that I can stay up. I can do maintenance. I can do the upkeep. I can stay current on uh, young trends, um, at least to be able to monitor them. And just um, exposing the things. I mean, just last weekend, man, we took a hike up to the top of the hill right behind the prison that I spent time in. Mm. And, you know, my son knows I was in prison for a long time. And he knows uh, that I committed the crime. We talk about it. And as he continues to get older and ask more questions, he'll get more details. All the way down to the most embarrassing, shameful things that I did. Um, Because I just don't want to. And I think that for me, I always thought, I always worried that, number one, I didn't want to have a kid because I didn't want to place my burdens, my past. I didn't want to play, make my past become a burden to him. So I never wanted to have a kid. I just wanted to be that cool-ass uncle. <laughs> and um, But when we did, it became, okay, now how do I make this right? And it's weird because I just always wanted to be honest with him and I always wanted to be transparent. And I've done that in my community. Um, a lot of people knew that I've been to prison. But just as in this in this uh, session here, man, I always lead with it for the viewers that haven't heard, and I don't want to I don't want to waste your time or mine. And I don't know, it's, I just really want people to know that 
you got to be able to talk to folks about the things that you're going through, man. You got to be able to trust them. And if you want someone to be able to trust you, it goes back to be to your presence. And, you know, it's the presence with the C, not the T. And man. I'm going to tell you this, Mike, while you on that, because you remember when I started working with youth, we took a trip to the prison, Trey, and mm -hmm. uh, we took the kids into the prison and uh, the prison had some selected inmates that they chose to kind of be those liaisons with us, with the staff and with the kids. And I walk in and one of the liaisons is Mike. Wow. <laughs> right. And wow. so, and what I'm saying to myself is playing a lot through my mind, like, okay. Cause what I saw was this dude is, you can't keep him down. Even in here, he's still being that guiding light, doing whatever he could in there with what he had. And so the way I look at it is you, you were put in that situation and I'll say this a lot, but every time I get an example of it, I, I pointed out that you weren't being buried in that situation. You were planted in it for a reason. So that made you who you are. And there's somebody who came through those doors who benefited from you. You know what I mean? Something you said or something you did. So that's the cold piece. And when Mike talks about communicating as a parent, you want to be the parent that your children have confidence to bring anything to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you don't want to be, for an example, you know, you you might talk to your kids, or your daughter about having unprotected sex, you know, like, hey, make sure this, that and the other might be uncomfortable. But trust mm -hmm. me, not doing it can be way more uncomfortable. <laughs> right. So when you have that conversation, you have it over and over. Your wife has it with her. Boom. And this is hypothetical. Right. Then one day she comes home and she says, Dad, I'm pregnant. Right. What you can't do is snap. You know, just going off. We talked about this a million times. I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Because in her mind, you think she's going to tell you something else? Because right. that's how you act. So it's okay to say, okay, well, man, okay, well, whoo, Pops is, I'm struggling with this. I'm disappointed. You know what I mean? Okay. But the fact is, you're pregnant. So come here, girl. So what? let's, let's talk about what we're going to do. What's the plan? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the comfort that a father brings. Of course you're disappointed. Of course you all of that stuff. You know what I mean? But you know you stepped into a, another zone as a father when you can be that's how you become that person that your kids can bring anything to. And then when you leave them, then you can go to your wife and y'all can have that conversation. Right? But with your child, you want to set that standard because they teeter with it. They want to tell you things, but last time I told them, man, that didn't go well, so let me lie. Or let me not say something, you know, or let me tell my gang leader, you know, because he listens and he doesn't judge me. And he doesn't. Matter of fact, I got a medal for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a lot of competition out there, seen and unseen, for your for your, your parental rights, yeah. you know. So we got to really be careful with that. So I'm going to wind this down a little bit. But, Trey, what would you tell a young man who's laying down right now having unprotected sex? What would you tell that man? <laughs> Well, first of all, you know, it, it, that's, it's, it's definitely a hard conversation to have. But I, I had a mentor tell me that hard conversations bring healing. Mm -hmm. And so to that young young man out there who's, you know, either having or contemplating uh, having unprotected sex, I would just say this. And, 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 and my, my parents and, and my grandparents, they always instilled this into me before you make any decision. Just ask yourself. And if there's any question, 
that that what you're doing may not be the right decision, don't do it. Or at least find a way to make it safe for you. Um, you know, and and I know you know people who know me as a pastor, they think I'm just going to tell them, no, I just don't do it. You're not supposed to do it. No, nah, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the easy way out. That's not the hard conversation that needs to be had. The hard conversation is, okay, what are the consequences on if you go, go the route that you're considering or if you go left? And so, because I've been in them shoes, <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be 100%. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've been that young man who was either having unprotected sex or contemplating yeah. having uh, unprotected sex. I think we all rolled those dice at some point. We all rolled them <laughs> dice, bro. And, and sometimes, sometimes you, you don't roll seven. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you crap out, man. <laughs> and I just wish that the, the things that, you know, my parents and my grandparents told me, you know, just take that extra second to contemplate what. And, and, and I did this even with, 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 my, with my kids, even before you speak. Just contemplate on what you're about to say, and is it going to be healthy or is it going to be poisonous? Is the decision that you're going to make with your body, is it going to be healthy or is it going to be poisonous for your body? And not, not only for your body, but is it going to be poisonous for your future? Because if you end up getting that, that girl pregnant, you're, now, now you, you're becoming a father. And so that is priority number one. You may be on your way to signing a, 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 a full ride scholarship somewhere, but that priority of being a father takes precedence over that scholarship opportunity. You may be trying to, to, to get your record deal out there or something. That's that's going to have to sit on the, on the back burner because your priority as a father is priority number number one. So there's a lot of consequences and repercussions that need to be considered. It don't mean that they're going to happen, but you got to take those in, in, into consideration before you make that decision. It, and it, it doesn't even go, you know, just with, with having un, unprotected sex. It also goes with anything that any response to what's going on in society. Before you put out there your, your opinion and, and your thoughts, make sure that they're put, it, put together in a way that brings forth healing instead of bring, bring, bringing forth division or, or problems. So, you know, I, I just would just encourage that young man just just take an extra moment just just to consider uh, the pros and cons of what you're about to do. All right, gentlemen, I knew this would be exactly what I, I was hoping it would be. For most of my listeners, you know, there's one more question that I always ask, but I think we've answered that on every level. And the question is what makes you necessary in this instance, what makes fathers necessary. But if you haven't heard that answer through <laughs> this time we spent together, I really and I never say this, but I don't know what to tell you. So shout out. I really appreciate you. You fellas taking the time, man. Mike, Trey, keep on keeping on doing what you guys do. Yeah, man. Hopefully someone somewhere. And the thing about something like this podcast is it's going to be uh, in the cloud forever. Right. That's right. So someone can always so, somebody's going to hear this who didn't know they were going to hear this and is going to connect with something. They didn't know they were going to connect to. And that's the power of having a platform. And when you use it in the right way, people, people will find it. So that's right. thank you, gentlemen, for joining me, man. This is the I Am Necessary podcast. This is your guy, Marcel. As always, be needed, be necessary. And if you made it wrong, make the time to make it right. 
and I'm out.